Hi, everybody. We're back with another podcast on Iowa basketball. Nathan Ford joins me. And this is Wednesday, whatever day this is, February something. <laughs> I lose track during basketball season, but Probably I do know. Days in. Yeah. Oh, it was Groundhog Day yesterday. Yeah. And which is proof that Groundhog Day isn't Groundhog Day because this isn't Groundhog Day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Uh, uh, there was a basketball game on Groundhog Day around here last night. Iowa beat Michigan State 84 to 78 just hours ago. And uh, it was a good thing they won. <laughs> Can you imagine had they not? I mean, it didn't look all that great for quite a while. Yeah, it really didn't. That, I mean, Michigan State comes out and hits its first six three-pointers, and that's exactly what the the pessimistic person would have expected coming in is based on, you know, Iowa season as a whole and really just sort of the slump that the team has been in all of a sudden that team like Michigan state that really hasn't been that great of a shooting team anyway. And especially since it returned from its COVID pause has been, it's been a struggle for them to score all of a sudden takes a double digit lead in the first half. And a lot of people are thinking, here we go again. And yeah, Iowa was fortunate to come away with a win in that one for sure, especially with everything that was went against them. Sports are weird. I mean, yeah. I, I get to the arena about 90 minutes before the game last night. And Michigan, uh, first of all, in the, in, yesterday, in the day before and the day of the game, Michigan State had put out videos from practice at Carver where they seemed very locked in, very spirited. This is a team that had been on the road, got embarrassed at Rutgers last Thursday, 67 to 37, was at Ohio State's uh, Sunday, lost by 15 points. They're two and six in the Big Ten coming in. And I'm at the arena before the game last night, and they seem very spirited, very, you know, ready to go get it. And then during that whole game, they were clearly the more spirited bench, noisier and mm. uh, more fired up. And you would think, what do they have to be fired up about? Well, they're competitors. Yeah. And they came and they competed. And they very nearly took Iowa uh, to the end and beat them. And Izzo said after the game that he thought they were going to win the game. I would have thought so too for most of the game. I mean, you look at the the factors that were going against Iowa. First of all, the three-point shooting, uh, Michigan State, like I said, made their first six. They did cool off a little bit, but I think Iowa made five the whole game. Mm -hmm. And Michigan State made more than that in the first, I think, eight and a half minutes. And then C.J. Frederick was back in the starting lineup. That was something to be to be excited about if you were an Iowa fan at the start of the game. But as Fran McCaffrey said afterward, he clearly was not himself. He played 11 minutes and scored two points and just isn't all the way back yet, which is another issue with this busy week too, three games in a week, and he's still struggling to get back. And then just the the way that the, the starters, there was just a, a lack of a lack of flow from, from them, from what we've seen before. It, it was – on the bench to come in and bring the guys back. And obviously Luca Garza was a big part of that too. I mean, you can't win without what he did with another double, double and 27 points, but just the fact that, you know, Wieskamp really was never totally in it. Bohannon didn't make a big impact and Connor McCaffrey even had a couple mm -hmm. turnovers and struggled a little bit. If, if it wasn't for the bench, Iowa is looking at a third straight loss. Yeah, I mean, it's a game they couldn't have won last year. Right. They, they. I mean, I was looking at their game against Ohio State last year because they're playing the Buckeyes tomorrow, and they only used seven players in that whole game. Mm. Uh, they used 11 players in the first half last night against Michigan State, and every one of the six guys off the bench contributed, but, but they needed every ounce of it as – as you said, I, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, first of all, you got to recognize, I think it, it is true. Everyone in this league is a good win, but yeah. it didn't feel like a win. Really? I mean, yeah, they won, but when, when uh, Bohannon and Wieskamp are sitting out for long stretches of each half and, and Frederick is obviously somebody you can't count on right now, health wise and Connor McCaffrey, he didn't, you know, really give them a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're at the 12 minute time out of the first half. And Fran McCaffrey is just screaming at him because they're not defending and they weren't, uh, you're, you're wondering, you know, number eight team in the country. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was thinking about this after the game, just thinking about how it all played out. It, if you were maybe at the start of the season, just presented with this, this box score and said, this is one of, you know, 13 wins, so far for Iowa, you're thinking this is a kind of an encouraging sign that mm-hmm. Iowa's got guys that substitutes that maybe didn't expect a whole lot from coming in and making an impact. I mean, Toussaint played one of his best games of the season. Nanji was fantastic on, on both ends. And that, that was something that you're thinking, wow, that if I was getting that kind of production from guys coming off the bench, that, that, combined with what you expect from the starters that that's an elite team but in the context of where Iowa was coming into this game back-to-back losses one of them was obviously the Indiana game was unexpected that's it's tough to look at the positive sign of that because I think if you're an Iowa fan and you're coming into this week with three games one of which is a, a top 10 team and then Sunday on the road against a team that you've already lost to you're hoping to just drill Michigan state uh, a team that's struggling. It's a home game. You're coming off a, an emotional loss and, and hoping that your guys are fired up and ready to go. And I think that's where some of that, that sense of it just doesn't feel like a win knowing that two days later, all of a sudden you're, playing the seventh ranked team in the country and mm-hmm. you're hoping to feel a little better about the team going into that game than from than what we saw from a, a lot of the players last night well it's <clears throat> excuse me it's your 17th game and it's your 10th conference game you're exactly at the halfway of the big 10 season and you all of a sudden the lineup feels like it's got instability mm-hmm. now i don't think it really does i mean the same five guys are going to start obviously against Ohio state. And for all we know, they'll all play 30 minutes and they'll all play well. Uh, But I, you know, on the zoom call Monday, they have each week with Iowa players and Fran McCaffrey, the players were telling us how motivated they were, how locked in they were, how practices were great. And then almost from the get go, you're not seeing it until those subs come off the bench. And, and then you're seeing this lineup instability where Wieskamp and Bohannon are both on the bench for long stretches of both halves. And it's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic what the subs did, but you want to evolve into players' roles. And here you had Nunji, Toussaint, and uh, Perkins all playing season highs in minutes in your 10th big 10 game, which is, I mean, you do what you got to do to win and they were playing well. So Fran McCaffrey did the right thing by leaving them out there. There's no question about it in my mind, but you don't really want, do you want players roles to be changing this much? Well, maybe this was a one game blip and I think it was, but when you're in the middle of it, it's a lot different than to, to be able to look back on this game two weeks from now and say, Oh, that's the game where the subs bailed us out. And it was an aberration. Yeah. That's interesting because if you look at Thursday and Ohio state comes in with the fifth ranked offense in the country and they, they come in and just start bombing and take a double digit lead. What's, you know, are we just going to see the the subs come in? Are they going to be able to produce like that on on a game to game basis? And 
lead Iowa back? Probably not. It's probably not going to be a, a consistent thing. You're going to need your starters to, to produce. It, it's going to have to be a blip if Iowa wants to, wants to get to where it is. But it was, it was interesting to watch down the stretch. I mean, it was the, it was Garza and four subs out there for, from like the under eight timeout until there was only a couple minutes remaining and they extended the lead. And it was only until Michigan state brought it back within three that the Bohannon and Wieskamp went back out there. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a situation where those guys are all of a sudden going to be like looking over their shoulders and like playing to not make mistakes and, and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're, they've been around, they, they know what this is about, but mm-hmm. it is, it is something where, yeah, 17 games into the season, you would like to have a, a pretty set rotation that maybe changes because of an injury or foul trouble or something, not because, well, we need players closing out better on the three point line, or we need better rebounding. It's, it, it's, only, I guess it would be a slightly concerning, whereas you would want it to be just kind of a, a blip. Yeah. You know, I still look back and I'm hearing the criticism, but okay. They, to me, they've still had just one poor game and that was Indiana. This wasn't yeah. a poor game. It's not a poor game when you beat Michigan state. I don't care if Michigan state's two and seven in the big 10. You won. So you've only had one real dog of a game. So it's, you know, it's very easy to lose perspective and, and, and start uh, wondering about the starters. I just, uh, that there hasn't been the consistency from specifically Bohannon and Wieskamp. They'll, they'll have three or four really good games in a row and then, a couple of games where they're just sort of, you know, not so much. And uh, these are the guys, these are guys you've got to have game by game by game by game, or you're going to get tripped up because there are a lot of tough games left, a lot of tough games left. And a lot has been built this season on the big 10 race the elusive regular season championship that they haven't gotten at Iowa since 1979, they're already in a tough spot. They're two games back in the loss column. And there are a lot of, a lot of teams up there with them. Illinois is playing well again. Wisconsin's right there. And this Ohio state team has four losses, but uh, it might be playing the best ball in the conference right now. Now that Michigan is on hiatus. So you can't have any more trip-ups, really. And you certainly can't lose at home. And there's, to me, a feeling that this Iowa team isn't playing its best ball right now, so it's vulnerable. I think that so much hinges on tomorrow night's game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't we talk about that? Ohio State, what's your uh, observations on them? Yeah, I mean, I mean, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about who was in sort of in the Big Ten race with Iowa and where where Iowa fits into that, I was kind of a little dismissive of Ohio State just because I think they had just come off getting crushed by Minnesota. They had lost to Northwestern. They'd had some some injuries, some guys in and out of the lineup. I didn't really look at Ohio State as a top ten team, Big Ten contender. But that's kind of changed. I mean, they've won six of their last seven, and the only loss was to Purdue, like right at the end of the game. Uh, I watched them just take Wisconsin apart um, a week or so ago, week and a half ago. And EJ Liddell looks like a, a really good player. I mean, they they've got they've got a guys that can shoot. They've got guys that can drive. I mean, we, we talk about Iowa's offense being the best in the country and the way that Iowa can win games with its offense. Well, Ohio state is a fairly similar makeup. I mean, they, they, they can score and that's gotta be a concern if you're looking at the way Iowa's defense has played the last week or so. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing that just jumps off the page to me about Ohio state is that they've won at Rutgers 
They've won at Illinois, and and as you just alluded to, they won at Wisconsin. Both teams' most recent game was against Michigan State. Well, Ohio State controlled Michigan State. Mm. Uh, Iowa had to sweat one out. This is a veteran team. It's one of those teams. It's like Rutgers. They don't have the 6'11 guy who can counter Garza, but they've got 6'6", across the lineup, which I think makes them a hard guard for Iowa's other players. Uh, they've got veterans. The guards are good. Dwayne Washington's good. And C.J. Walker had been hurting and missed, I think, four games. But he's rounding back into shape, and he's a troublesome player at both ends. And you can't foul either one of those two guards because they never miss free throws. It's incredible. Yeah, Walker's missed like one all year, right? Not a 50. <laughs> you don't see that from it. You don't see that from Steph Curry. No, you know, and Washington's right there. Washington's like a 90% foul shooter. So these are the guys who are going to have the ball in their hands late in the game. Mm -hmm. That's trouble. Uh, they guard the, they're like Iowa. They, they uh, make more free throws than their opponents shoot. A lot of the time, the, their scoring margin is the same as Iowa's in the conference. They, uh, they defend the three-point line very well, under 30% uh, for the season in the Big Ten, which, and, you know, and you're looking at Iowa as a team that relies heavily on those threes. Uh, and they're a good rebounding team, not, not overwhelming, but, but solid, you know, like plus five a game, uh, which actually the more I think about it, that's, that's pretty good. So this is a team that, that has, is playing its best ball against an Iowa team that's kind of, you know, having a bit of a February lull. I still think, though, that the, the, once again, like it does every week, the narrative could change tomorrow night. Uh, this is a team Garza can score on. He did last year. And, I mean, Kyle Young is their, their biggest starter. He's 6'8". Is what are they, you know? They've got to come at Garza with two. Okay, there you go, Bohannon Wieskamp. It's on you. Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan State on Tuesday night just threw a lot of threw a lot of big guys at Garza, and they had they had one foul out, and three others had four fouls, I think, and they they just had a, they had a hard time containing him and they fouled him 12 times <laughs> that's a, that's a lot now if Garza could shoot his free throws like he like he's capable of then and that's he, something else if if they do I mean if they were 23 or 35 that's mm -hmm. not that's subpar for them yeah if they're if they're 28 or 35 uh that's a double digit win yeah, it is it's, a little, it's an 11 point win and Garz is the first to admit it. I got to shoot free throws better. And he, he has shot free throws pretty well this year, but uh, eight of 14, if, if he's 10 or 11 of 14, it's you're, you're breathing a little easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's obviously going to be a big part of Iowa's game plan is to get Ohio state trying in foul trouble, get Garz to the line like it normally is. But you know, what we saw from Indiana and a little bit of Illinois is, guards really coming after guards that swarm him just making him think twice about trying to make moves on the block on the baseline he can't just put the ball down and spin baseline or go to the middle because they were throwing guard guards and making him think a little bit and if Ohio State can do that that's going to throw him off a little bit and that's like you said Iowa Iowa's guards have to come in here and play like like they were during that five game winning streak I think when you know, Bohanna got off to the, su such a slow start this season other than one or two games, and then all of a sudden it was back to the Bohanna and we're used to. I think we just kind of expected that to continue throughout the rest of the season, and mm -hmm. I I feel like part of that is that Frederick has been out, and Frederick hasn't been himself. I mean, teams can just get all over Bohanna, and they get, you get your best defender on him. You're just you're checking him right when he crosses midcourt, not giving him any kind of space to to move when you don't have that 
other deadly shooter. And Frederick is one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. And I, it's hard to say that he's going to be back to himself on, on Thursday, such a short turnaround. So it's going to be on players like Wieskamp, maybe even Keegan Murray a little bit to be able to step, step out and knock down some shots to just space the floor a lot better than what it has been during certain stretches. I think that's a great point you made. Uh, Frederick's value to the team is, is kind of hard to measure because it's not so much a numbers thing. Mm. He, he uh, does open things up and he's, I think he's their best perimeter defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, smart player, doesn't shoot a lot, but takes nothing but good shots. His percentages reflect that. Uh, he's a player that, that I think that by the time he's a senior could be one of the better guards in college basketball. Uh, they can't count on him right now. And McCaffrey said last night, he's, he's not right. And he, he obviously wasn't quite ready to play against that kind of competition uh, last night against Michigan state. And it's, it's too bad because he's just a sound, such a sound player on a team that really needs a presence like that. And uh, you just can't make better defenders out of everybody midway through a season, especially with veteran players. Uh, so I think there's there's some concern there, and they've got they've got to be real smart about Frederick because they're going to need him down the stretch. They're going to need him in the postseason, or I think they're going to have problems. So whatever his issue is, let him get well and bite the bullet now. Uh, otherwise, you're going to probably pay for it down the road. Yeah, it's a tough thing because. It, this is a it's a number seven versus number eight teams in the country at home, both teams in Big Ten contention. And like you said, this is a, a Big Ten title that Iowa fans, Iowa as a program has been just hoping for for a long time. And so you want to just keep, throw everything you have at it and get a win in this game. And and really over the next couple of weeks, I mean, it's just such a big stretch for Iowa. But you also have to think, I mean, and I know it's probably not really a thought on a, on a day-to-day basis, but you have to think like, what are college basketball teams remembered for year to year? It's the postseason NCAA mm-hmm. tournament runs. And I think you're right. You, you, I don't, if, if a guy isn't right right now, I don't think you just keep throwing him out into games and hoping um, if it's not working and it's not clearly uh, against Michigan state, they saw that and, and took him out but you've got to get him right for the, for the stretch run. If that means you have to take a couple losses, you have to go through a rougher stretch than you were hoping for. then that's just what you have to do. It's, it's a weird year anyway, with the, with the rescheduling, it's not easy, but when, if you, if you can step back and look big picture at this moment, that's what you really have to hope for is that he's right by the end of, by, by March. Well, I say you got to, I mean, Joe Toussaint's just simply going to have to play more. They don't suffer when he's out there. He's a good player. And he's, I mean, he played a lot last year. Uh, people forget. I mean, he, he had more minutes last year per game than he, than he has this year. And uh, he brings defense out there. And Perkins gave them some pretty good defense last night too, I thought. Well, Maybe you, you'll still start Murray, but uh, Toussaint's got to be a 25-minute guy, which he has not been in any game this year. Last night, 21. Okay, well, uh, this is a guy who can go toe-to-toe with the, the guards of the Big Ten. He can defend, and he can also break things down as we've seen time after time, which I think Garza loves playing with him. Uh, so, okay, Joe, it's your time, man. And, and I do like that. He's that he slipped Perkins in here the, the last couple of games because this guy gives him defense too. And, and he's unafraid and uh, you can't have enough guards right now given that Frederick's situation is iffy 
Yeah, we even we even saw Euless for a few minutes against mm-hmm. Michigan State. Um, I, I was really impressed with with Tucson. I yeah, I do think he's a really good player, but especially against Michigan State, I mean, he came in with twenty five point three turnover rate, which is the highest on the team. He had one turnover in twenty one minutes against Michigan State, and the team as a whole had five, and two of them were from Connor McCaffrey, who's your your sure handed point guard. So that that was a big deal for those guys to come in and take care of the ball. I mean, you think of, you think of um, reasons that, that coaches have for, for taking bench players out, you know, not being confident in them is turning the ball over and either not knowing where to be or not being, not being capable of being there on defense. And from Iowa's guards on Tuesday night, we saw them handle the ball, take care of the ball, get it where it needed to go which is to Luca Garza a lot of the mm-hmm. time, but Joe Toussaint and Nanji also provided some scoring. And then they defended really well and they changed the game with their defense. And so, yeah, if you're going to keep getting that sort of ball security and, and defense that you, you've got to find minutes for him and, and Perkins as well p- provided excellent defense. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's harder for us when we, when we don't know exactly like, what what the plays are and stuff to notice if guys are making mistakes but from our point of view they were sure-handed and did not make a lot of mistakes against Michigan State which is all you can hope for I just wonder I mean I I go back to Bohannon and Wieskamp and the body language from them last night on the sideline I you can read way too much into that but uh I just wonder what they're thinking today, you know, is it, is a, uh, a fire under them because we've seen it before. We saw it from Wieskamp just a few games ago. He had a couple of games in a row where he wasn't up to his norm and he was ticked off about it. And he came out and, you know, played like vintage Wieskamp. Bohannon way back to Christmas he was getting uh, ripped by a lot of people and he used it. Uh, he turned it into a positive. He came out and had a, a five game stretch where he was just really good to borderline. Great. Vital. I thought the catalyst, uh, if these guys, if it's, if this game was a blip last night for them, uh, everybody can laugh about it down the road uh but iowa needs that okay because as as much as i liked what i saw from Tassant and perkins last night i don't think you can count on them to be consistent uh it may not be fair to perkins and Tassant plays you know racehorse style of basketball that when it's good it's very good but when it's not it's trouble Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to get better and better and be a really excellent Big Ten guard. But if you want to get where you want to go with this team, Wieskamp and Bohannon have got to be their best selves. And, uh, you know, everything's ebb and flow, up and down, so forth and so on. But you don't have much margin for error now. And it, it's time for those guys uh, – to put these kind of games behind them and uh, help Garza carry this team. Yeah, for sure. And the, the point you mentioned about the body language. Um, and then when you, when you're talking about Michigan state and just the way they, how active they were on the bench and loud and into the game, it was the same thing with Indiana when, when they came to Iowa. I mean, that was, that must've been, if you're an Iowa player, that must've been frustrating to just to listen to that. I mean, you're missing shots. The the other team's extending the lead and they are just talking and yelling (laughs) and cheering with no, no fans in the building to help you out. And that's one thing I watched from, from Illinois is their bench is always super active. And like the overtime against Indiana last night, they were doing defense chants and up and they had a couple guys starters fouled out but they were right into it and yelling and encouraging their guys and you know I think with some of Iowa's players it's maybe just not in 
not in their nature as much to do that. And there are guys on the bench that, that are, that are loud and, and cheering on, but yeah, that you don't always see quite as much of that from Iowa as you do from, from other teams. And I, and I don't know if that's a huge deal, but it, there, maybe there is something to, to read into that there that where you, you do have a really confident experienced team. And when you're going through a slump, I think sometimes maybe they just expect to, to come out and well, this is, that's not who they are. They're going to eventually the, the law of averages or whatever you want to say is going to catch up and they're going to start playing better, shooting better, but you do have to kind of bring your own energy sometimes, especially in, in these situations. And I don't know if we always see that from, from this team and, and during stretches when they need it. I think you define that really well. The Iowa is an older team, veteran team, uh, not an emotional team, uh, comparatively speaking. I, I watched the, I got home in time to see the last minute regulation in the overtime of the Illinois game. And, and you're right. I mean, and I saw that in Champaign and you probably saw it, could tell on TV. Uh, they're uh, fiery, you know. Uh, I was close to the Illinois bench in Champaign, and I wondered uh, how together are these guys because I'd been hearing and reading that uh, the chemistry wasn't great necessarily and things just weren't clicking. And I saw Coburn uh, playfully rubbing the heads of teammates. Uh, he's got to stick his arms down a long ways to do that. But, but, but I, uh, you know, Adam Miller, who didn't do much in that game statistically, was seemed to be a, a, a fireball just in terms of, you know, having his head in the game and, and keeping his teammates fired up. Uh, Iowa's guys are, are, are they're just quieter guys. Wieskamp is not that kind of a guy. Bohannon is uh, really not that kind of a guy. And, uh, Garza leads through his play. I mean, Garza is an intense guy, but it's not a yelling team, and that stuff can be overrated. But you're not in an arena with 15,000 of your best friends providing a lot of juice and intimidating the other team. And that's where I think it does make a little bit of a difference when you're – I mean, I sit on the Iowa side of Carver, the press is. We're closer to the Iowa bench than – the opponent's bench and we can hear the opponents very easily. And last night, Michigan state's guys were loud. And when it's just those players in the arena and almost nobody else, I think it makes a little bit of a difference. Yeah, I think so too. And you, you look at it, Michigan state and Indiana, this, I was a, a team. They want to be badly. I mean, that's a, that, they have no fear. They it's kind of a nothing to lose situation coming in. And so those, their guys are going to be fired up and, and active and trying everything they can to will their guys to a win. Whereas Iowa, like we said, comes in as a favorite and experienced veteran team knows what it's doing, knows what it's about. And maybe you don't just don't get it quite as much as that, but it is a confident team. And I think whether it makes a big difference or not, I think you, you just, it's something you would like to see a little bit more of. And just because if, if you're a fan, you want to see that those guys are having fun and, and it locked in and encouraging each other. I, you know, when you have the 117th ranked defense in the country, maybe it doesn't make that big of a difference, but at the same time, I guess you, you you're looking for any little, advantage you can get and I don't know maybe that would be something to that they want to be more active and talkative on the bench there's a couple things that come to to my mind here first of all the the weight of the expectations they put a lot of that on themselves and then they're not shy about saying what their expectations are that they never have been and I doubt they ever will be they fancy themselves as a national championship contender, not just a Big Ten title contender. Okay, that's a lot to put on yourselves. They believe it. Uh, whether it's warranted or not, I don't know. 
you know, I, uh, you mentioned the defensive stats and it's like at some point in a big 10 tournament or an NCAA tournament, somebody's going to get you because of that. There haven't been very many NCAA champions or even final four teams for that matter, who didn't have the great defense. We had Virginia and Texas tech in the title game last year, two of the best defenses in America. Uh, Baylor plays defense, <laughs> you know, Michigan plays defense. This Ohio state team that's coming in here tomorrow night plays defense. We've talked about it before. Iowa's doesn't have to be a top 10 defense, but uh, it would sure help if it were a top 50. Yeah. I mean, I'm an offensive guy. I like watching elite offenses. I love the idea of a team that's, one, just trying to be one of the best in the country by outscoring teams. I think that's super fun to watch, mm-hmm. but I totally get it. If you're a fan, the frustration that comes with, can't the defense just be decent? And I get that. I totally get why that would be frustrating and worrying when you get into a, a winner go home situation, because you're relying so much on one part of your game and granted it's, it's an elite offense. You have the best player in the country, one of the best scorers in the country, but that is, if you could, it's something where you just wish you, you, that you had a, just a decent top 50 defense. If, if you're looking at it as an Iowa fan, for sure. Well, something I want to emphasize before we move on to the, last thing I wanted to talk about is they did win that game against Michigan State. <laughs> you know, I mean, that confidence that we talk about has its benefits as well. Poise helps. Uh, they were down 11 points in the first half. They're, they're ahead by, at halftime. They had a nine-point lead to almost slip away entirely in the second half, and Michigan State cut 79-70 to they're within a whisker. Iowa withstood it. Now, it helped that Michigan State missed a a makeable shot that almost went down, but Iowa stood up to it, came out of there with a win. That is the mark of a good team. You know, I mean, uh, the same thing at Rutgers. That game at Rutgers, they could have lost so easily. Uh, They kept their heads, and in the, the final minute, they played winning basketball. So things could be worse. Things could be far worse. And the weight of these expectations makes seven and three in the Big Ten maybe unsatisfying to people. But they're in a position to contend. Now we're going to find out if they do. Absolutely. The, fi- the final thing I, I, uh, before uh, we end this is Luca Garza. Uh, last night he cleared 2,000 points for a career. They honor people who hit 1,000 points. There have been 50 of those in Iowa basketball history. Three of them are on the current Hawkeyes, and it's the first time they've had three players with 1,000 points at the same time. Oh, God, I think it was uh, – If I may be wrong on this, but I think it was 1989. There have been teams that had 3,000-point scorers, but not they didn't all have 1,000 points at the same time. Horner, Haluska, and Bruner come to mind. But then you've got Garza at 2,000, and he's going to replace Roy Marble as the leading scorer all time. Uh, it's probably four or five games away, in fact. 2,000 points is a bunch of points. And I just saw a stat that he got to 2,000 points faster than any Big Ten player in the last 25 years. Uh, we... we you, I know that I don't think anybody's taking him for granted, but what we're, we're seeing is something we've never seen at Iowa and something very few teams ever get from a player. I mean, he's got, he's averaging almost three points per game more than any division one player in the country. Iowa hasn't had a leading scorer in the country since 1948. The big 10 hasn't had one since Glenn Robinson in the early nineties. 
this is just taken for granted. Last night, he has 27 points. 27 points is a lot of points in a college basketball game. He's done this so many times. Uh, what What's really left to say about this guy, Nathan? It's it's crazy. And it's I felt I, I feel very similar watching him as we we did watching Megan Gustafson on the women's team a couple of years ago, where she was scoring at just ridiculous rates. And you just almost you, you did almost take it for granted because it was just it just looked automatic. It just looked sort of easy. And I, I don't know if that's the thing with Garza is it doesn't always look easy. I mean, he has, he works really hard to get his baskets. And that's one thing I've enjoyed this season is you get, when you get the the variety of TV announcers watching it on TV and it's, you know, different, different color commentators coming in for different, for different Iowa games. And so many times they just marvel at the way Garza is able to turn certain situations into baskets, into free throws. And you, it, it puts things in, in perspective when you're watching him every single game, every single minute that, wow, this is really tough to do. I think there's, there's scores that we look at. Like if you're, if you're just looking at the NBA where uh, like a Steph Curry or a LeBron James, where they're, shooting from 40 feet they're throwing down ridiculous dunks driving the, the, that sort of dynamic ability athleticism and then you look at a guy like Garza who does it yes he's a great athlete he's strong and he's capable of scoring in many different ways I mean we've seen his three-point shooting this year for sure but it is just something to it's wowing in sort of a different way, the way he's able to fight through double teams, to use his body, use his elbows to work through and turn situations that would be turnovers for a large portion of post players in the country and turn them into to three point plays. The, the, the frustrating looks of um, opponents on the bench and on that are guarding him that just are stunned that he that they thought they were playing good defense and all of a sudden he's going to the free throw line or all of a sudden a shot went over them that they weren't expecting at all it's something that you have to just sit back and and watch closely and not just not just um take for granted like you said because next year he's not going to be here and that's 20 some points per game that I was going to have to replace. And it's not going to be easy to replace. So as much as, yeah, as much as you go through these little blips during the season where it can be kind of frustrating, it's, I think it's equally as important to realize you're witnessing a national player of the year, just dominate on a night to night basis. It's, it's funny. There've been a lot of games. I keep score and, you know, maybe 10 minutes into the game, 12 minutes into the game, Garza's got five or six points. And I'm thinking, well, he's off to a slow start. And then all of a sudden he's got 16. You know, at halftime, he's the leading scorer in the game. Uh, you you look at opponents in the second halves and uh, they're big guys and you can just see them wearing down. When they played Minnesota in Iowa City, Liam Robbins, seven-footer, having a fine season for them. Had a big first half in Iowa City. Uh, if you'd asked me, if, if it was just player A and player B, and you say, which one of these players is the best player in the first half, and I didn't know either one, I'm telling you it's Robbins. Guards that neutralized him totally in the second half, wore him down got him in foul trouble, frustrated him like you were talking about, and had a big night. Uh, Garza only comes out of games when he is physically spent. Mm -hmm. You know, he's played 10 or 12 straight minutes going hard and sweat's pouring down his body. And it's like you almost feel sorry for him because he just looks exhausted and he gets his two or three minutes and he goes back out there and picks up where he left off. And it is conditioning, it's desire, 
It's all, all the good things you like to think about from your star athletes. And dude wants to win. I mean, when, when they lose, he is, uh, I mean, he is sorrowful. And, and I realize that's almost, that's most players, but he said last night, he didn't come back for the point to score points. He came back to win. And that sounds like a nice line from a lot of players with him is sincerity. If they don't win at all, he's going to be bitterly disappointed. And the odds against them winning at all are very long. I mean, I'm sorry, but they just are. They're, they're long against everybody. They're long against Gonzaga. Not as long as maybe, uh, you know, Northwestern, but they're long. Uh, it's you against the world. And if Iowa doesn't win at all, Garza is going to be distraught. This, that, that this is, you can talk about skills all you want, but ultimately with the great ones, it does come down to desire as that X factor, what makes them different than anybody else. And uh, you can't play with Garza and go half speed or you're embarrassing yourself. And opponents have to, have to bring every ounce of energy they've got to deal with him or they're going to get torched. And I heard uh, an opposing coach talk about Garza a few weeks ago like that, uh, just full of love for him. Uh, and it's like, this is an opponent you're talking about. And it, it sounded like he was talking about his own player. This is a coach's dream. And uh, it's, and he's a fan's dream. And I think I was going to have a good team next year, but it's not going to be the same. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's such a shame. We didn't get to see a, a postseason last year because Garza was, you know, I think he's even better this year, but he was a national player of the year candidate last year. And to not get to see, they weren't going to win the national championship last year, but to not even get to see a possible Big Ten tournament run or see what they could do in the NCAA tournament with him, with him, at, you know, playing as well as he has in his career, that that's, that's disappointing because those are some of the most memorable games. And those are the games you definitely don't take for granted. And that's, you know, that's why he came back is because he wants to have that chance. Like you said, he wants to win a national championship. And I think, you know, no matter what, if, if Iowa makes a, a deep run, that's something in a few years you can look back on and, and cherish even more than just the, the sheer scoring and the, the will you see on a night to night basis from him. Well, we've got a lot on the plate here, Ohio state tomorrow night at Indiana Sunday. You think that they sweep those two? Do you think they split? You think that they could get knocked off twice? <sighs> I would bet against, I would bet against a, a sweep just because I, I just, and I can't even pinpoint for sure which one they would lose necessarily, but it's a, it's an Ohio state team that comes in as a big 10 contender and one of the best teams and offenses in the country. And then you're going on the road to Indiana after, after a long week. So I, I guess if I had to bet, I would say they, they split, but I can't, I, I'm not confident enough to say which one they, they win. I suppose I would lean toward them beating Indiana and, and losing to Ohio state, but it's going to be two tough games and that's obviously ideally you Iowa wants to win both but I think to to keep that that Big Ten title goal in, in perspective you've got to at least split them I went on a limb and print at least I think I did and said that I thought that after the Illinois game they'd win their next four hmm. uh I'm going to stand by that. I think that I think that they play one of their better games against Ohio State, and and there's nothing. I don't have anything concrete to put that on, other than they're getting right back after it 
And I think that uh, sometimes basketball players are better when they don't have a lot of time to, to, to dwell on the next game, but to just go play it. Hmm. And uh, I think that that's going to work better for them than when they had the eight games between or the eight days between games. Uh, I don't have any illusions that it won't be a very difficult game, but I, I think they're a better team than Ohio state is. And I got a lot of respect for Ohio state. And then the Indiana game, uh, that Indiana game in Iowa city was weird. It was, it was like I've said before, Iowa's worst game. And it was one of Indiana's very best games. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're, we're, we're going to see that again. Uh, from what I saw from Indiana since that Iowa game, they're still sort of just treading water. Uh, J- Jackson Davis is a terrific player, but I'm not convinced that the rest of that team has got enough to beat Iowa. It's a, it'll be a noon start in Indiana with, you know, not the Indiana crowd. So you don't have that assembly hall intimidation factor. That is a very real thing normally. And, uh, I just think that I was a better team that's going to have a, you know, I don't, I think revenge is an overrated thing, but I think in this, in that game, it's going to be a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Finnessy had a uh, zero points and fouled out against Illinois. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the exact opposite of his Iowa game. Um, I, yeah, I, I think you make a great point. And not only that, I think Indiana is a team that you, you gear up for anyway, if you're in the big 10, you go into that, that building, even without fans, You've got the national championship banners staring at you, the tradition of Indiana. That's just a game that I think is easy to get to get fired up for. And so, yeah, I I would lean toward Iowa winning that game, too. And I think with Ohio State, it just comes down to probably can you outscore them? And I, I just at this point, I'm just not confident without. Frederick at full strength and, and Iowa being able to do that. And, you know, maybe I'm proven wrong. Ohio state's had its oh. share of clunkers too. It's not like they're a guarantee. So it's, it's a tough it, game. Yeah. It, it's very possible. Iowa wins, but I don't know. I just lean a little bit toward Ohio state, just the way that both teams are playing right now. Well, uh, when we next convene, we will have a lot to talk about. We'll know whether or not Iowa is a big 10 contender. And uh, we'll know if Tom Brady is a Super Bowl champion again. Yeah, I guess that <laughs> you know, I they do have a game, don't they? <laughs> it's crazy. Super Bowl Sunday is Iowa men playing Indiana, Iowa women playing a ranked Indiana team, and the Iowa wrestling team has two duels, including against Ohio State. I mean, I don't think unless you're a Chiefs fan. I, and obviously, you know, there's some Hawkeyes playing in the Super Bowl. I think the Super Bowl is kind of down the list on the games to look forward to in, here in, in Iowa that day. It's kind of strange scheduling. It's I've, <laughs> I've been told that it's a national holiday, but nobody seems to be treating it like that from <laughs> Iowa. Yeah. You no, know, I'll be in a car driving back from Bloomington listening to the Super Bowl on the radio, which is going to be interesting to me because it's like I'll have to pay attention to the game instead of all the other nonsense. <laughs> They play funny commercials on their radio too. That's yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right, Nathan. Good talking to you. Thank you again. Yep. And, uh, thanks for everybody who watched slash listened.